obviously can't wipe the smile off your face now to be able to do live again. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like it. Oh, it is, it is, it, there's, uh, I mean, all of this has made me appreciate it so much more. You know, I've, 19 years I've been in comedy and every time I do a show now, I, I, it just means a little more. Well, what a pleasure it is to have Lars Kaliu and Chris Franklin on Legends of Bevo comedy version for the very first time in the studio. I, I, it's good to be here, mate. It's a beautiful, beautiful studio. Uh, I, I was zoomed in last time. Yeah, great to be here. And, and great to be able to do live shows again. Um, you know, we were speaking about that. You guys tonight have got a live show down at Port Adelaide. Um, what's happening down there? Do you want to take this one? <laughs> well, uh, we were supposed to be doing shows in Queensland for these 11 days, but they got a little bit of rain and we headed over here. So we just popped down to Adelaide. I'm, I'm back in Australia after a two-year hiatus. I was stuck in Canada for two years and am delighted to be back. So we were on a variety show tonight and then I'm off to Queensland, Sunshine Coast, to do some shows. My first time performing in Queensland. I've, I've done all the other states in Australia, but I've never performed in Queensland, so tomorrow morning I'll be off over there. How exciting. And yourself, Rangus? Um, yes, I think I've got the variety show tonight, which is a, sort of a, a little bit of all things fringe. There's some circus acts, some musical acts, some comedy and acrobats and things that uh, should be a lot of fun out of Port Adelaide. Then I'm off to do Mullet Fest in Albury over the weekend, <laughs> national competition to find Australia's best mullets. I'm, I'm a guest judge on that. Then home to Tassie to uh, celebrate my wife's 50th. Oh, beautiful. Happy birthday to the lovely wife. So, yeah, what a couple of years we've had. Firstly, um, we'll, we'll speak to you, Lars. You mentioned before it's been two years since you've been able to come to Australia. What have you been doing to keep yourself busy? I, I got a little bit lucky. I was in Australia when the world shut down. So I started my tour here in 2020, did a week in Perth, and was flying to Tasmania to do some shows with Chris. And the my prime minister called us all home. His He came on television and he said... If you are abroad, you need to come home now. And I thought, you can't call them that. I don't think <laughs> that's the right term. But we, yeah, he said that for real. And then I, I was standing in the Melbourne airport on the phone with Chris, and we had a lot of shows, and about half of them had been canceled. And I was trying to decide whether or not I should stick around and try and do some shows or fly back to Canada and made the decision to go back to Canada on March 17th of 2020. So I flew home two years ago, almost to the day. And finally got back when, when the borders opened up, I was, I was at the point where I was ready to row over here. I would have swam <laughs> to get back in, whatever it would have taken. That, so that decision to go home was made on a to coin toss in the, in the airport. Too. Yeah. Will I stay and do that? He would have been here for two years stuck here if that had have happened. Oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Canada opened up, closed, opened up, closed, opened up, closed. So there was, you know, clubs you could play and then you couldn't. And then we did backyard shows and then you couldn't. And then we did virtual shows and it was just getting by until you can, until you can get on that plane and travel 40 hours back here. And I can't, obviously can't wipe the smile off your face now to be able to do live again. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like it. Oh, it is, it is, it, there's, I mean, all of this has made me appreciate it so much more. You know, I've, 19 years I've been in comedy, and every time I do a show now, I, I, it just means a little more. It's, yeah, it's definitely. And yourself, Frank, it's like you've been involved in lockdowns as well the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. We, I was fairly lucky being in Tassie. We were an island off the main island, so we, we were fairly free. We, we shut our border, uh, not that anyone noticed, because <laughs> it was Tassie. <laughs> because we were clean and WA was clean, uh, we had a travel bubble there, and the airlines started doing direct flights from Launceston to Perth. 
So I spent a lot of last year touring around the mining camps in WA where I was able to go. So I told them all, the reason I'm here is because all the really good comedians are locked in their houses in Melbourne and Sydney. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I was lucky in that respect. I, I had a, a good year at the second year of COVID. So. Mm. And speaking of George Capen, you asked recently a mate of yours and, and he was saying doing stand-up comedy on Zoom is an absolute nightmare. How did you find it, Chris? Oh, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. You can visibly watch the, the viewer's number go down on your screen. So yeah, they're walking out without telling you, you know, just by pushing a button. And people are there eating meals. So they've got their microphone on. You hear people slurping noodles and, and yelling at the dog or whatever. They just forget they're in a comedy club because they're not. They're in their lounge room in their pyjamas watching you talk to your computer. It's extremely awkward. So doing it live, you must be absolutely pumped oh, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing beats it. Nothing yeah. beats. And in terms of materials for, for your current show? I'm going, going to be talking a little bit about, I've got this technology now, the smartwatch and the smartphone, and how a person of my age, 57, almost 58, tries to navigate a world with, with technology and how bad I am at it. Mm. <laughs> so, Lars, in terms of your own material, so, you know, how do you approach your shows at the moment? Well, the Zoom shows, I got pretty lucky. There was a, a event company in Edmonton that created a virtual studio that was... Pretty, pretty comedian friendly as, as close. It was a reasonable facsimile, you know, it's still not a live performance, but I had screens where I could see everybody and interact with them. So that made it, you know, passable. And then as far as, you know, the material, there's so much to be mined from the differences between Canada and Australia. I mean, there's, they're very similar in that they're Commonwealth countries, you know, smallish populations. Our countries are about the same age, but there's, a lot of differences and so I spent a lot of time talking about the similarities and differences between Canada and Australia and you guys you guys are the hardest drinking people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> You're sitting right next to one. Yeah, one yeah. That's a, a good example of that. The, the yeah. ones you hang around with are. Huh? Yeah <laughs> yeah that's yeah I've in the 25 countries I've performed in I've never I've never been to a country that can drink like Australians. <laughs> I think that's something to be proud of, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, yeah. You guys have the title as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and the friendship between you, obviously you guys have been friends for a long time. Um, where did it first begin? I, I was popping down to this show. I was doing the Melbourne Comedy Festival and I heard there was a show called the Exford After Party that you could pop on at the end of the night. So I rushed down there to hop on and there was this comedian hosting. He was hilarious. Never met him before, never heard of him. He was fantastic, and the crowd at the Exford is notoriously rowdy, and he was controlling them, and then he came off stage, complimented this other young comedian who was about to go up, and I thought, oh, this is a nice guy, and ended up going out drinking with him that night, and turns out... He still hasn't got home. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out he's an Australian legend and had no idea, and I think getting to know him and, and being friends with him now, it happens a lot where... If I'm, I was in New York for New Year's Eve and I, I got on it a little and, and as soon as I run into Australia and I, I drunk dial him from Canada or the US. <laughs> the good thing is when it's three in the morning and he's drunk dialing, it's like two in the afternoon at home, so he's not waking me up or anything. <laughs> you know, mate, you want it again, eh? <laughs> well, back in the old days, you might have still been asleep, Chris. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah so just became friends. And um, I, I like to bring a couple of comedians a year over for tours of Canada, show them my country, show them the mountains, show them the Rockies and Calgary and Banff and Jasper and Lake Louise and brought him over uh, 2017, I think was the first year. And he's just coming back every, every year since. And, and he got to do 
Canada for the first time in the winter. I usually bring him over in the fall, so it's not. And when he landed in Canada this January, it was minus 27. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The previous years, pre-COVID, it was always September or October I'd go over. And it was a little bit of snow, but pleasant days and nice. And uh, as soon as the, we were able to get back there, because we'd missed two years, we went, right, we're going, and hit there January this year in the middle of their winter. And I had to get a new pair of thongs because I had a hole in the bottom of my old ones. And <laughs> I wasn't very good with the snow. But, uh, You've been got, kind of used to that with Tassie, though. Yeah, yeah, we get a bit of snow. Every five years, the whole state gets covered. Apart from that, it's just the mountains. But, yeah. It gets pretty cold over there, though, as well. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> so I'm used to it. Plus, the amount of drinking I've done this been no circulation in my feet for years. <laughs> I don't feel the cold that much. But I was lucky enough to do bar in Banff with Lars on Australia Day Eve this year, and all the ski resorts in the Rocky Mountains are, are run by Australians. They do the winter here and then go over to the winter over there. So we had 250 drunken Aussies in this bar in Canada on Australia Day Eve who'd come out to see me. It was, it was really humbling and a lot of fun. Yeah, it would have been a great experience. Yeah. Yeah. They do say there's a lot of Aussies over there in Canada, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> And you did another song with a few famous people as well called Stay the F Home. Yeah. For the people out there that don't know what this is all about, tell us about it, Frank. Um, well, it, it, was, it, it grew from my frustration at, at the restrictions and, and, and people ignoring them and people saying it, it's a conspiracy theory and all of this. And I just thought we're not going to get to the other end of it if people just keep spreading it and, and breaking the rules or whatever. And out of frustration, I wrote it as a poem um, it called yeah, Stay the F at Home. And uh, in the last verse, when I recorded it for you uh, for Facebook, I said, this, this should be a song, and I sung the last verse. Then uh, a fella in America called Robert Emmett Kelly actually put it to music and uh, thanked me for the lyrics. And from that, I got the idea. He, he, he did it like a vaudeville piano show tune. Um, and I, I rang up a few mates who were Australian musicians, 27 of them, in fact. And thankfully, they were all locked in their houses and didn't have gigs too, so they, I knew they were going to answer the phone. <laughs> And um, yeah, we, we all filmed our parts, 27 different people filmed our parts and recorded our parts in our homes. At, at home, we all sung different parts of the song. That's on YouTube if you want to have a look at it. It, it. I think it came out pretty good. Oh, it's, it's a ripper so for sure. Had over 2 million views now. So. That's phenomenal. Mm. Yeah. And Lars, you've performed with some amazing people. We spoke off air um, with Chris about this earlier on. Um, tell us about some of those. Well, there's a casino, a big showroom in Edmonton where I live and this, the River Creek Casino. And they had Martin Short come through. I opened for him. The show went great. So then they said, we're sending you the contract for Joan Rivers. And then Bob Saget, Roseanne Barr, Jeff Foxworthy, Jay Moore, Kathleen Madigan. They, they were really good to me. And then a lot of times it's just doing your job. Do your time. You know, don't. A few of the comedians, well, had some, you know, don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. You just do your job. And then when they come back through Canada, they're like, yeah, get that guy again. He was pretty good. So... Yeah, it's been, you know, touring with Joan Rivers or Bob Saget was was pretty cool. You know, there's you get yeah. to know them as people. And uh, they were, you know, like you were saying, you know, before we started, they're so gracious and so easy to talk to. And comedians are generally, you know, pretty, pretty hospitable. You, yeah, you, you struck up a quite a friendship with Joan, didn't she? She really took to you. Yeah, yeah. And I often, sometimes I wonder when you're working with somebody like that, you spend more time with their staff. So she has these two, two amazing, Joan had these two amazing staff and we would sit in the green room and drink all the wine and <laughs> and have a laugh and and uh, 
when Joan came back through Canada the last few times, they said, yeah, yeah, use Lars. But I, I, I like to think it was Joan who wanted me, but I think her staff and I got along pretty well too. So I obviously you're doing a great job if you're, you know, building up those relationships with these huge names that you mentioned. So yeah. I'm just yeah. a little bit concerned because he's toured with Joan and Bob Saget and they're both dead. So I, I'm worried <laughs> about touring with him now. So <laughs> he seems to knock off everyone that he tours with. <laughs> And in terms of like where the sort of comedy began, you touched about it before, Lars, but with yourself, Chris, um, when did you sort of first get that passion for comedy? Was there someone on TV or someone in the family that said, oh, you're a pretty funny man, Chris? Like, I was did... always in trouble at school for being the, the larrikin in class and whatever. I guess it was always in there. Um, growing up, Dad was in the Merchant Navy, so he was away for a month and home for a month. And when he was home, we'd be down in the shed doing stuff and we'd be listening to bawdy Cole Elliott tapes all of Cole's old great stuff and then when he was away at sea mum would let me stay up late at night and watch Monty Python with her the TV show so I, I got comedy from both parents from influences from what they liked in comedy I guess and then yeah years down the track got to do a gig with Cole Elliott that was quite amazing so uh, him being sort of one of the main reasons I think that I got into it but how it happened was I, I um, was in a bar in Richmond in Melbourne a fellow called Pommy Johnson was in there and he'd uh, he'd been on Hey Hey It's Saturday the night before and I went, oh, there's that famous guy. And so I had a few beers and I went up to him and in his ear just started reciting old Cole Elliott jokes to him. And here's one you can use and here's one you can use. Got invited down to a pub in St Kilda called the Espy. He said, I'm hosting a show on Sunday. Come down. I'll put your name on the door if you like your comedy that much. Went down. My name was on the door. I've gone backstage to thank him. And he said, oh, you're here. Good. You're on. Threw me on stage. No way. <laughs> so I went out there pale-faced and my maiden five minutes was 15 minutes of Cole Elliott jokes with... <laughs> with uh, Pommy Johnson in the wings yelling out, here's one you can use and here's one you can use. <laughs> Just setting me right up. But I, I got the bug from that and kept going back there. It was an open mic night. Learned that you had to write your own jokes and, and here we are sitting here today. What an absolute stitch up. So you yeah. literally had no preparation or no, anything like that. No. Wow. Me up. Mm. That, that's, a, that's the sign of a good comedian <laughs> when you can do that, Chris. <laughs> uh, it was all someone else's material I was doing on that first day. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and yourself, Lars? I know you sort of touched about it a bit about your journey, but uh, when, when did it sort of first begin for you? Oh, I thought about it my whole life. I think a lot of comedians always have it, you know, it percolates. It always, mm. you know, whenever somebody starts doing comedy, I go, do you think about it for a long time? They're like, forever. Most of the comedians who get to the point where they're doing it professionally, thought about it most of their lives. It just drew you in. My parents were professional musicians. So they had a, a song that, that charted on Billboard in North America when I was five. We went on tour with the band from the time I was six till the time I was about 14. Lived in hotels, didn't have a home. My mom taught us all school in hotel rooms and, and I thought I was gonna be a musician. And I am a terrible musician i can't <laughs> carry a tune in a bucket i had a band in high school that was pretty good i was dead weight i was terrible oh my goodness i was the worst musician <laughs> you've ever heard or seen yeah. couldn't play anything timing was awful that's the right criteria to get a number one hit here yeah I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and uh and then when i was 26 i was like you know i thought about this my whole life i'm going to give it a try and i remember being on stage that first time, and I was like, oh, this was it the whole time. Like, yeah, this, and that was May 19 years ago. It was, Unreal. Yeah. It yeah. Kind, kind of when you it. think back about it, like I, I, I hadn't considered any of what you just said, but it, it was obviously in there all the time. I did the Cole Elliott stuff with, with, in the shed with Dad. When I was in the Navy in the 80s, we have a ship's concert, and I went out as a stand-up comedian and did Cole Elliott jokes out there representing the cooks of the, of the ship, and they loved that. 
and I, I thought I was a stand-up comedian. So I was uh, when we came back to shore in in Sydney, I was jumping up at late night piano bars and doing the same old Col Elliott jokes all, all the all the way. Working as a chef in after the Navy in Fremantle in Western Australia, and someone invited me at a pub to do comedy. The first time there was a band on, I was in between the bands. And I had cheat sheets stuck to all the fold backs, and there was, I'd almost wallpapered the whole stage with these jokes that I had to say. So yeah, I, I, yeah, you learn to do it right eventually. But I had been doing it for a long time. Yeah. And it's such a, a you know, it's a, it's a tough thing being a stand-up comedian because some of my friends are like, because I sort of, I'm kind of funny, but in a stupid way. Like I always do <laughs> silly things to make my friends laugh, and they're like, you know, be a great stand-up comedian, but it, it, it takes a lot of skill and a lot of of patience and and willpower as well because you, not everyone finds you funny so you know in terms of how do you guys deal against yourself chris with with hecklers and when you, you sort of get an audience that don't laugh on your jokes how do you handle that if they don't laugh at the jokes you, you move on pretty quickly from that you change tact and and try something to win them back or, or acknowledge it to them i always do and go well that normally works and have you guys been an audience before you know, so. <laughs> Hecklers are the common enemy of the of the comedian, so that there's a, a box of stock standard heckle responses that we can all draw for. There's a few that I've written as well, but if you're still fighting with someone, there's feel free to use these out of this box, you know. And, and any comedian will grab the same lines if they need to on the night. So we all band together. That's the the one piece of joke writing where we don't go, "Hey, he's doing my joke." You go, yeah, shoot that bugger down. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and and yourself, Lars, what's your approach? Well, I don't know. I've never had a bad show. I, um, yeah, there's funny. There's uh, there's a com comedian friend of ours who runs a comedy club in Kuala Lumpur, and he wrote, "There's like an unwritten rule in comedy where you're only allowed to brood about the show until 11 a.m. the next day. So after 11 a.m. the next day, you can't you can't complain anymore. So no matter if a show went badly, you have till 11 a.m. the next day. Then you got to wipe the slate clean and move on." And we were, we had done a show and it hadn't gone great. And I was whinging about it. And they said, Hey, it's after 11. And I'm like, no, we went through a time zone. I got an extra hour. And we, had, <laughs> we were driving West. So I got an extra hour. You forgive yourself. You have to learn. Um, you learn to forgive yourself. I think, you know, it, it happens so often where, I mean, if 20, 25% of your jokes work when you first write them, you'd, you'd be lucky. Like that's, I mean, that's a pretty good batting average for, you know, if you're churning out a lot of jokes and you have, I have, have had jokes where I thought, man, this is fantastic and it just doesn't work. And you've had ideas where you, you share it and everybody loves it right away. So it's, I, you, you're just going down, I, the visual that I have is you're just going down to the river with your little gold pan and you're just, every open mic you go to or every show you do, you're just panning, you go, hey, there's a, there's a little bit of gold and then, hey, there's a little bit of gold <laughs> and you eventually hopefully have a little pile by the end of it that if, you know, if you need to call on it, you're like, hey, but I got something that's pretty good here, you know, but it, it's just trial and error, just heading down there and working, working, working. And like we spoke about, you know, like it's not everyone's cup of tea. Sometimes you get an audience that love you, sometimes you don't. And that's just one of those things, isn't for it? For sure, well? for sure. You're only yeah. ever going to get a certain percentage of the audience laugh. And and every comedian, if once they've found their style, is very different to the others as well. You know, there's some that are very, um, what's the word, animated, and, mm -hmm. and some that are like deadpan. We were talking about Elliot Goblet earlier. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it doesn't move at all. Some are, 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 are character-based, I guess, although it's not that much of a character with me, the bogan sort of thing. But... Yeah, everyone's got their own style and, and audiences are the same. They've got their own style of comedy that they like. 
So if you're not their cup of tea, I think it was Doug Stanhope that said, if you don't like me, wait 10 minutes, there'll be someone else on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. yeah. And we've got to, before I let you go, we've got to speak about bloke. You've <laughs> <laughs> been asked about it so many times. But, you know, where did the idea come about? Because, um, yeah, I know you've been, so many people have, have asked you that question before, but personally, this fascinates me, you know, where the idea came from, Chris. We spoke earlier about Pommy Johnson, who who was TV profile before I was even doing comedy. He, he was a musical act, had a guitar on stage. And in that night where I met him at the bar and said, here's one you can use, here's the one. I said, here's a song I sing. I'd written a few silly parody songs. And he, he saw something in that, I guess, and he, he gave me his address, said, come around here, I've got an idea for a song. I went round there and he said, um, I want to do either the male response to the song Bitch and call it Bloke and the example he gave me was I'm a bloke, I'm a plumber. And he said, or I want to do a song called Bitch and do it about Pauline Hanson. So uh, <laughs> I, I sat down, I wrote both versions for him. They both came out really quick. And um, he started doing the Pauline Hanson version uh, on stage, which would never have got to radio. Um, <laughs> and then through that day at the SBI started doing comedy and I said, do you mind if I do that bloke song? He said, you wrote it, go for it. And by chance, someone from AMI was in one of the audiences and they said, we want to record it. Oh. And it went from there. And now Pommy's sitting in a bath with a toaster, I think. Um, <laughs> picked the wrong song. But uh, he still got that original piece of paper that I wrote the original lyrics on. He said, I'm not going to give it to you because you'll die before me and it'll be worth something. <laughs> Does it blow you away how successful it's been? Oh, you've heard it. I can't sing or play a note. No, it, was number one for three weeks and in the top 40 for four and a half months. And like I said before, Dave Gleason's a bit shattered because Kerry Johnson never had a number one. I love reminding him of that too. I catch up with my good friend Dave Gleason. Gleeso, if you're watching. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, the Screaming Jets have never had a number one, although he's singing with the Angels now and they've had a few number ones, but yeah. they weren't number one when he was there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any other songs down the track maybe for yourself? Or? Uh, no, the, the media in the world has changed too much. So, like when Bloke came out, it was CDs and that was fancy enough for me. I, I, was, I grew up in a record era. <laughs> yeah. But now it's all downloads and you have to put it on Spotify and it, it, I don't understand how the charts work or any of that anymore. Like, like we brought that Stay the F at Home thing yeah. out and that that has got a two million views, but I, I don't see it in a chart anywhere. Or I, you know, I don't see money from that because it's just out there in the media now. So. Well, the Wiggles got number one, the hottest 100, I think, with Triple J. So that just tells yeah, you what yeah. the world's like, doesn't it? Yeah, there you go. Mm. <laughs> well, before I let you go, guys, um, just once again, just plug what's up next for you, for you both. Well, if people are on social media, I'm very easy to find. It's uh, extra, like the word extra, E-X-T-R-A, and then Lars, which is for real my name, so Extra Lars. Then if they want, they just go to Instagram, follow Extra Lars. I'll follow them back. They can unfollow me. They'll gain a follower. That'll be fun. <laughs> um, I'll, then I'll follow their journey. Yeah, we're off to, I'm off to the Sunshine Coast for a couple shows, and then the Melbourne Comedy Festival for a month, and then a week in Perth. So I am... So happy to be back. Yeah. Um, yeah, just delighted. Exciting times ahead. Yeah. This weekend, Mullet Fest in Albury at, at Soden's Hotel in Albury. That'll be a good weekend. Doing a stand-up show on the Friday and then judging the, the mullet competition on the Saturday. Uh, then home for a little while for my partner's 50th and then, like Lars, over to Melbourne for a month for the Comedy Festival. And you can catch me at MySpace. <laughs> It's just me and Tom on there now, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Franklin and Lars Kaliu, thanks so much for joining us on Comedy Legends with Bevo. It's been an absolute blast and uh, we look forward to speaking to you both again soon. Good on you, Bevo. Yes.